Hello and welcome to the BBC R&D Human Values podcast. A lot has happened since our previous podcast series and now we want to interview a few key people that have been on this journey with us as we find these cases and explore how the human values framework can be used alongside other existing frameworks. We hope you enjoy this podcast series and please get in touch with us if anything you hear catches your interest. We can be contacted on humanvalues.io. Here's Ian Forrester from BBC R&D, who will be your host. Thank you, Marisa. And we will start the interview with an introduction by the guests. My name is Alison Powell. Um, I'm an associate professor in the Department of Media and Communication at the London School of Economics and Political Science. And um, I have been working on um, questions around values and technology for probably almost 20 years now. Um, I run a master's program called Data and Society, uh, which is a portion of the Media and Communications um, MSc degree that focuses on ideas around data, information, and um, the relationships that data and information have to different kinds of social changes, uh, social transformations, social conflicts, and really digs into the ethics and practices that are underpinning kind of data systems. But my interest in values predates that by a very long way. I started uh, working on technology issues in my PhD research, which I did in Canada. And at the time, I was really fascinated by people who were self-described hackers who were really interested in making their own kind of information access networks. And so I followed around this group of people who were super interested in wireless technology and building different kinds of wireless technologies, but also building a kind of different model of society that was based on different human relationships built up through partnering as communities with other communities to extend internet access in a way that avoided the kind of commercial model of one big ISP and you know thousands of individual clients. And I really loved this work because it gave me a kind of mental model for this question around technology, which I always think of, does it have to be this way is a guiding question for me. So I continued my work when I moved to the UK, looking at um, community led projects to open up access to data. Uh, and work either with government data or collect data to kind of advance different citizen interests. And again, I was kind of interested in that work on um, around, does it have to be the way that it is? So open data was a, an activist project, but it was also a governmental project. And there was always a huge tension between open data as an activist project. Like we'd really like to describe what we think is going on and what's important in the world for us and open data as a governmental project, which kind of tied into the big society and the small state kind of mandate that was happening sort of in the 2010s, let's say. And this question was also one of, does it have to be this way? The activists were saying, it doesn't have to be this way. We can make our own data. The government was saying, well, we've made all this data. Why don't you just audit it for us so we don't have to have as many statisticians on staff? Um, and there's an interesting conflict there that I think we continue to see now with the sorts of technologies um, that are around us today. We have super powerful mobile phones 
that are for the most part locked down by different companies uh, who, who provide them to us. We have an amazing political discussion space that's unfolding online, uh, but that's really controlled by companies that aren't subject to the sorts of rules that uh, you all in the BBC are subject to in terms of, you know, um, having to be unbiased, having to have facts checked, having to be responsible for what you publish. So social media, again, is, you know, becoming part coming into the same space of having a real sort of dominance by a small number of actors and having a large number of people asking questions about, does it have to be this way? Um, and can we do things a little bit differently? So because I'm kind of interested in the huge range of things that happen all across the media and communications landscape, um, I'm often working on several different things at the same time. Uh, at the moment, I'm working on a project about the actual academic and professional and activist field of data and AI ethics in partnership with the Ada Lovelace Institute. That project is called Just AI. And we have done a ton of work in trying to understand who's working on data and AI ethics. And again, how can we describe different ways that people are working on those topics other than uh, working from, for example, philosophy um, as a discipline versus computer science as a discipline. We're looking to break down the kinds of distinctions and hierarchies that have divided how people have done this work and like look at different ways we can bring people together. I've also been involved in the human values project um, that we're talking about more specifically today, uh, which actually grows out of a previous project uh, that was looking at um, values and ethics in technology design, which was called Virtue. And in that project, we looked a lot at different ways that you could think about practice of ethics and about how ethics or you know, kind of thinking about consequences and influences of, of, uh, of, of everyday decisions makes its way into the design of technology. And that, that project also brought up a lot of questions about how do you think about what's valuable, like what is worthwhile to do? And that kind of idea of worthwhileness is a really important um, component of this question around uh, data and AI ethics as well. So that's a very like large and somewhat sprawling introduction, um, but I hope it captures the, the kind of like huge number of things I find interesting and the huge number of ways I think it's possible to ask uh, cool questions about um, the values that we attach to technology and the decisions we make about it. Alison, that was amazing. <laughs> um, so yeah, there's there's so much <laughs> I want to pick up on, um, but I'm going to start with um, the. I love the. It doesn't have to be that way, um, and my instant thought is that um, okay, that's something that I've kind of stood by for quite a long time. Well, for basically ever since I started learning how to um you know start doing computers basically like basically when i was about seven um and i've always had this kind of alternative path to into computing because my mum and dad didn't have the money to afford to buy these expensive machines and i made the most i probably maximized the use of everything i had um 
up until the point I literally it, I I you know, hacked it, made it do more, added more stuff to it, and just I just kind of like doubled down on it. Um, so I find that really interesting. I guess the my instant thought is that with a lot of this kind of stuff, that tends to be more um, a privileged view um, than um, a kind of mainstream view. This is not the not right terms, but um, yeah. you. it was interesting. You're following a small group rather than, you know, I guess the question I'm really asking is, um, it's a really difficult question. Sorry, I've like, been really unfair, but why do you think it hasn't become like the mainstream view? Or do you think we're on that way to that mainstream view? Well, I guess this is a, that's a really, really good question, as you pointed out. Um, and my own personal response is that um, there's more to a mainstream view than there seems. And I think the making a kind of distinction between you know, the mainstream and the alternative is sometimes valuable because you want to be able to like look for different possibilities. But it's also sometimes unhelpful because then you end up being sort of dismissing things because they don't fit a version of alternative. Um, and then you dismiss what's happening in the so-called mainstream as well because you're just saying, oh, but that's just the, the mainstream. That's just like the, the way that things always have been and the way things always will be. Um, and my own view is that there's always the potential for things to be different within every, within every experience. And just because it doesn't, because a kind of way of, of let's say like a way of using um, a technology, is in line with how it was designed doesn't mean that it's all that that is necessarily an uninteresting use or is going to lead to a kind of like uninteresting sort of social outcome right so i have no idea how most people use social media because even as a researcher i can only observe so much but i believe that there is like social transformation that's happening all the time yeah, I think, I think you're 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 right. I think that it's really hard to kind of like lump this view into one. And I think that's part of what one of the things about the human values is that when we're trying to go, this is not there are in this kind of mainstream formation, but that doesn't mean that they're the things that they value are the same, um, and we're kind of like tearing that apart which is which is interesting and i guess that's that leads me nicely to a question about um how did you um how did you find out about um human values and i know and we, we talked previously about what what on earth does values because everyone's values or values has so many different connotations and mean different things to different people so i'd like to hear what your what your thoughts are on values and then afterwards um how did you learn about uh the bbc r&d human values yeah well so values in design is a is a kind of like very big influence in the um human computer interaction design field which is sort of related to the work that i do and so the concept of values in design um and the process of questioning around how 
particular sorts of values are connected with decisions that you make in designing all sorts of things, but especially technologies. That's been part of my work for a long time um, because that's one of the kind of influences on, on how I work on things. And you know, more specifically in my own work, I am very interested in the different sorts of dynamics that are both um, part of design processes and part of like imagination. I'm really interested in imagination, like how people think about what things are or what they could be. Um, and so I guess human values, the idea of like what you care about and what's important to you and what we care about and what's important to us, because those are two slightly different things, um, has been a big part of my work. Um, I have been working on with my colleagues from the Virtue Project, um, Nirina Shiklovsky, um, Sebastian Lehuede, and um, Funda Ustik Stolda on writing about these kinds of two spaces, the individual space and this bigger social space, um, and the way that people's own interests and like values, things that are important to them, are able to be expressed in their technology design work or not. Um, and we've been writing a couple of papers about that uh, based on our work. So, um, Alex Deschamps-Sancino, who's working with you at the BBC on the BBC Human Values Project, mentioned that you were interested in working on a project around this bigger concept of like the values that people have and the values that people think should be connected with different organizational and technical decisions. And because she knew I was fascinated by this, she said, what do you think? Do you think it might be something interesting for us to talk about and work on? Um, and so that's uh, that's sort of my entry into the project. And you know, Ian, you and I have known each other for a long time through the various different Mozilla Festival encounters we've had, which have also always been around this question of like, what do people care about, and how do we put this together in you know in technology spaces. So it really was a very natural fit in a way to kind of link up these two conversations. Yeah, I, I agree. I think um, <laughs> obviously I was very, very pleased when um, well, when me and Alex were talking about um, who else could um, could join the project. Um, your name was basically at the top of the list because uh, like, hey, Alison's great. Oh, yeah, Alison is great. And she's been doing all this stuff before. Oh, yeah, that's that's yeah, she should definitely be part of this. So uh, we thank you very much for for joining the project and i guess um this leads nicely into um also we haven't done anything yet but um what what kind of um what what kind of things would you like to do with uh with us um not just within the um within this phase of the project but like uh longer term as well you know around um values and, and the human values because i know that we've obviously got a certain amount of funding um for this phase but it's a it's a core project within bbc r d so there is you know it's not like it's that's it july that's the end there's going to be a lot more that um well different places where it goes and i'd, I'd love to hear what you're thinking especially with some of your experiences that you've had before um is there a way of kind of like maybe going in a certain direction or do you think there's something that we should um 
we could collaborate on, I guess. Oh man, that's a that's like what a wonderful thing! Like, hey, what else should we do together? Uh, well, I think there's a lot to work on. Um, I'm just uh, uh, I'm chatting with you in my office, and um, and our conversation is on one screen, and on my other screen is some of the work I'm doing with my collaborators from the Just AI project, and we're we're really thinking about, you know, questions about um, justice, uh, sustainability, and access. We're also still really interested in this idea of like the practice of ethics, like where is it possible and desirable to enact certain values and like who gets to enact them when. Uh, so I think there's a, a ton of very interesting directions that this collaboration could go. Um, and I think from the perspective of BBC R&D, some of the questions are really generative and interesting and maybe like practical in a way that is would be just like exciting for you guys, particularly thinking about access. I think access is a really powerful concept and a powerful value that has turned up in my work, as I talked about earlier, this idea of access to information. Um, but I'm currently working with um, Dr. Louise Hickman, who is a scholar who is really interested in making access um, a kind of concept that's core to the idea of responsible technology development or responsible innovation. And her work comes out of critical disability studies. And so she's thinking about like access partly in relation to how we think about accessibility. And I think that's so generative and such an amazing value because it goes, it goes kind of all the way through the span of, you know, everything from like, can a person who has a visual disability navigate this website effectively to, you know, how does enabling um, audio description make it possible for our content to be used in different ways than it had been before? So then suddenly access is not just like giving something to somebody who's lacking, but also like generating a whole new space for innovation. And then if you build on top of that, you're like, wait, thinking about responsibility, like the idea of responsible technology, something that's sustainable, something that is, you know, like that looks toward the whole life cycle, something accessible would then therefore also be repairable, uh, which goes back to our discussion about hacking and then to our discussion as well about access to knowledge and different ways and pathways in um, and even if you want to go push it like all the way towards like concepts about green recovery and jobs, if we start thinking about access, accessibility, being related to repairability, being related to, you know, a circular economy kind of model, then all of a sudden we have like a whole new policy discussion. It's um yeah, just uh, for people who didn't, well, we'll be able to well, no, wouldn't know what we've just talked about, but um. Uh, I mentioned the fact that um, I, you know, didn't have access to a lot of the computing. Um, it's been documented elsewhere um, in other interviews, but um, I basically maximized the uses of every piece of technology I had because, you know, I felt like I needed to, I needed to, I needed to, because uh, I couldn't afford the, the next thing. And the, you know, and it was amazing. And I think this is, you know your your point this goes right back to your point is that by 
by changing some of these these um the changing the viewpoint almost or you know um it suddenly becomes like it opens it up to so many more people to not just this kind of like oh well we've we've enabled someone who is partially sighted or blind to access this it's like no no you've opened up this whole ecosystem which which you know was there but they couldn't really exist um without you know you doing this um it's really powerful um i'm i'm conscious that i want to make sure that we um ask some of the questions about the human values but because and it's all it all relates because one of the things that we've noticed that um the human values are are very focused on on um on yourself and on or on a a business or it's it's focused on something that's close where I know a lot of the things that we talked about um is is much more kind of societal policy decisions and there seems to be there could be a project where we start to not map but like almost take them and put them in comparison or alongside some of these much bigger um societal and policy decisions because for example um when we were talking to um oh i forgot solana larson from mozilla who does the internet health report i think you've met before um we were i was thinking we could do like almost like the, the donuts analogy so you have like the in the inside the donut is the human values and outside the donut is all the the um it's in health report um values you know and it's kind of like oh that's an interesting way of doing it because you know i like the idea of of kind of like putting them alongside um the bigger um the bigger concept so i think there's something like that that could be interesting uh, as well um i'm not sure how you feel about that um or you know if you have an idea about that yeah, that's interesting. I, uh, as I was saying, we've been doing this work on um, the individualization of ethics, um, which is something that we saw in the Virtue Project, as I was talking about. Um, and the idea of an individualization of virtue is a little bit like what you're talking about, this kind of focusing on what's close to you. We also found that it really constrained people from feeling able to like act in ways that actually did align with their values because they would feel like they wanted to do something and that they were doing the best they could. And then there were these other kinds of like constraints or the spaces that they were in made it impossible for them to actually go forward. And so I don't, I think there's a, there's something in what you're saying, I'm going to shape shape it a little bit. I'm going to say, instead of thinking about the inside and the outside of the donut, you have to think about the way that the social world is produced and reproduces different capacities to act, right? Like different capabilities to act. And those have to do with big social forces like ideology, but they also have to do with the, the relations between people and this idea of thinking about this as a as a kind of relational space i find really powerful because then it takes away this this idea that you have to exactly map something that's happening at an individual level to something that's happening at a big level instead you can see that there is like relationships and ties between individuals that produce a bigger space that we're all acting in 
Um, and so I guess to kind of close the loop and talk a bit about the Just AI project, we have been doing a lot with mapping methods and we've been having a big reflection about why are we using social network analysis mapping methods? It's not because we think we're gonna find out that there's like some amazingly different way that the people who study data and AI ethics talk to each other or relate to each other than, than we find in any other social sphere. It's actually to demonstrate this production of something collective from individuals and to show visually and also to be able to like describe and analyze visually these kinds of relationships. You can see where an idea is connected to another idea and a person is connected to another person through that idea. And then you can just talk about that and about how to like make those connections move a little differently. Yeah, this um, it's 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 actually I'm gonna talk to you about one day about the um, uh, the mapping project we've been doing with um, with my kind of with my public service internet hat on um, uh, with an organisation called Public Spaces um, based out of the Netherlands. Um, yeah, it's really interesting because yeah, we've I think the mapping is really powerful to understand those individual relationships and how they affect the whole. Um, yes. Yeah, um, it's really exciting. And I think it's exciting because it gives a kind of language as well to talk about things that like the idea of the part and the whole not being like the the whole the part the part of something is not like a miniature reproduction of what's happening in the whole. There's something else that's like happening, it's connective, and then it's additive. And then maybe there, you know, there's like generative effects. Absolutely. I, wish, I wish our lovely listeners could see that I'm waving my hands around and trying to like show Ian pictures of things in my brain using only my hands. <laughs> they'll have to, um, they'll have to imagine it, but um... just have to imagine it. I'm, I'm, we're, we're basically like trying to, to describe, um, you know, uh, stars and, and, um, and rainbows and, uh, and lots of connections to each other. Well, I think this is, I mean, this is, I think, uh, as you've made very clear, uh, is that there's so much more potential of what we could be doing together. And um, I guess the, the we're kind of coming close to the end um is uh is there is there kind of um is there a is there a question that you wanted to ask us um you know is there anything that you're kind of like oh you know um have you thought about this have you have you kind of done this um but also just before that i wanted to kind of give you an idea of where we're at um currently we um we've done the workshops and we're doing some new workshops but we're planning to have an online assessment so that people can uh it'll be like a it's it may not be but i'm gonna call it a psychometric but it's not quite that but it's quite a lot of questions that kind of like get you closer to um to what or to a, a number of of um points which you will be able to then tally to a number of values, I guess. It's not going to be that precise. It's not going to be, but um, it will give you an idea of like, you know, um, where your company might be um, good in some values, less good in other values. Um, and then as it's an online assessment, it's going to be quite simple, but um, there'll be the possibility of a half day assessment 
um, with us so we can actually talk through things uh, together. Um, I was wondering how you felt about that and would you be interested in it or would you think um, it being in person or virtual would work uh, for you personally? I feel like these things work very well in person because you're then able to make the assessment like have a different relational quality to get back to like our ideas about relations because an assessment implies that there's going to be something that's going to be found to be good and then there's going to be something that's going to be found to be lacking whereas if you spend time together in a sort of spirit of reflection and and sort of constructive engagement it's much less about someone being tested or an organization being tested and much more about like okay so what are what kind of capabilities do we have as individuals and as an organization and what would we like to be able to develop more and how could we support different people inside our organization to make decisions that are in line with what they care about because often people are it's not that people don't care about things and that people are you know morally corrupt it is often the it's it's more often the case that there's a kind of, you know, the the space that they're in is what shapes what they're able to do. And so if you do something that is in person that is like um fun, um a little bit uh you know, revealing, um, but also really constructive and supportive, then you have the ability to look for places where like maybe things are getting stuck. And people feel like they have to compromise on things that they maybe care about, or maybe things that they actually think the organization should care about, but they're not able to kind of get those going. Yeah, no, I think I mean, that's definitely where we're trying to aim for. So, um, yeah, I, I, the we're still kind of building how that would work, but um, yeah, this is the this is the challenge, uh, and this is the joy of working in the collaborations. Because yeah. I'm sure you will be part of that. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, we 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 played around with a lot of these things in um in the virtue project, and so we have a few. We've got some openly accessible material uh, from that that you are welcome to use. But we've also got like our brains, which were not totally downloaded into the openly accessible material, which you're also welcome to to uh, to explore and and sort of you know work with what worked for us um and you know where where we were able to get in our project which had many similar aims although we were working primarily with startups and they have a whole set of other considerations they, they certainly do they certainly do <laughs> yeah i remember actually we were when we were at, uh kind of wrapping up that project we were having a chat with some of the people who were helping us to uh evaluate and they're like why didn't you work with bigger organizations and we we're like we thought maybe startups would be kind of like more dynamic and we discovered they were so constrained. Uh, so in a way, it's really interesting to be able to kind of go back over this and and work through some of the same ideas, but focus on more established organizations, which actually may have more capacity to act in this area. It's um it's interesting. I, oh, back to, we could talk forever about, I learned about this thing called post-growth entrepreneurship huh. um, which uh if you've not seen you should have a look at because um in short it's 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 kind of very much what uh um a startup 
should be. But then once they suddenly start taking money from a VC or an angel, then suddenly they're locked into this path, which means that they are constantly, you know, they're on an incubator. They're, you know, this there's just this path that leads them in a in a certain direction, which means that it's very hard to uh, maneuver away from that path. Um, I will, yeah. If you look for post growth entrepreneurship, you'll find uh, a bunch of stuff about it. But uh, we'll make sure that you get a chance to ask any questions. Um, before we end. Um, so is there any questions that you had? I can't, I mean, I don't have any questions. I've just been, it's just been such a great conversation. Um, and I'm really, uh, I'm really excited that the Human Values Project is kind of taking forward this, these questions around, you know, decision-making about values. Um, I could ask you a million questions about how you define values, but I think we should just um, leave those as things we work on together over <laughs> over the next span of time. We'll we'll save that for another podcast. Exactly. I think, uh, that's I a mean, whole actually, podcast worth of discussion. That certainly is. I know that um, there is a thought in my head, especially um, after you know doing a few of these. Is um, it becomes clear that maybe, like for example, Alex, Leanne myself you and a few other people just kind of like talking about one thing like what is value what do you mean by value could be you know, hugely beneficial so i think that would be really great i think it would be really great to talk about values which is what i talked about today and value which i didn't talk about today but i could um, I alluded to it a little bit when I was talking about kind of circular economy and kind of like, you know, post-progress. Um, but I think that is a whole other podcast and I would love to do that one too. I would like to thank Alison Powell for her honesty and her time. If you'd like to know more about the human values, then please do join us at humanvalues.io and please visit bbc.co.uk slash rd for more exciting projects, services, and technologies. You've been listening to 2LO Rebooted from BBC Research and Development, telling the stories of BBC's technology and product groups.